All right, we are continuing uh, going through our study this uh, from, of, uh, of authentic Christianity. In the first three weeks, I, I told you last week, were kind of preliminary. Uh, they were kind of uh, to kind of lay the groundwork to make sure we're all on the same page. In week number one, we talked about uh, the convoluted Christianity, how uh, it's been so uh, mud, the, the waters have been muddied when it comes to the idea and the terminology of Christian. So we want to go back to the basics and what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, to do that, we first and foremost looked at Christ. Who was Christ Jesus? What was he? The kind of person he was, his personality, uh, his teachings, his power. We looked at what Jesus was, that he wasn't a religion. He's an actual person. He wasn't a tradition. He was not some myth. He was a person. Uh, and then we saw uh, the, the first real Christians. We saw that last week. What did they look like? And, and what were their uh, flaws, their shortcomings? We saw that uh, who they were. And, and I think in, in looking at those first real Christians, we were able to relate to them in a much deeper way. And this morning, uh, we're going to look at a, a different aspect, and now from and from this point on, we're going to look at it from a much more applicable standpoint. We've we've seen what Christ what, who Christ was. We saw what first Christians were and why they were called that. But now we're going to see how does this apply to my life and how can I begin to live an authentic Christian life? Again, uh, separated from any kind of uh, stereotypes or or preconceived notions, but biblically Christian life. What does it look like, and how can I enjoy it? Is what our goal is this morning. This morning we're going to read uh, several verses. And I want you to turn to Romans chapter 7 this morning. A verse I think rings true for all of us. Uh, that uh, uh, It's uh, helpful to read passages like this. At least for me it is. Uh, of course we know the Apostle Paul. Many of us would, would say without question. Uh, one of the most respected uh, Christians. Uh, one of the greatest Christians. In our uh, finite and fallible minds. We would, Of course we know that none of us are perfect. But we, look at, we kind of hold Paul in high regards. And so when we hear Paul talk like he's getting ready to talk for me it brings me comfort to realize okay well if that was Paul uh, then I feel good about myself because Romans chapter 7 notice if you will down at verse 14 for we know that the law is spiritual but I am carnal sold under sin so we understand those two divisions there's the spiritual realm the law of God perfection me I'm a sinful I'm carnal verse 15 for that which I do I allow not. In other words, the things that I tell other people not to do, I do. For what I would, that do I not. And the things that I know I'm supposed to do, the things I want to do, I don't do. But what I hate, that do I. So right off the bat, I think all of us can, can relate to Paul. The things that I tell other people not to do, especially if you've ever been a parent or a teacher of any sort or have any kind of influence in a child. There's times when you tell your kid not to do something, tell them not to do and then you find yourself, maybe in a different way, but still at, in, in the, at the heart of it, you're behaving the same way you told the child not to behave. Don't do, do as I say, not as I do, uh, is so sometimes what parents would say. Uh, but uh, Paul's saying the things I tell people not to do as a preacher of the gospel, I find myself doing. The things that I want to do because I know it's right, I don't do. And then he says, the things that I hate, the sin that I abhor because I know what it does to me, why do I do it? I hate it. Why? Verse 16, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. In other words, if I do the things I know I'm not supposed to do, then I recognize the law is good. Because the law is against these things. The law is I recognize the law is good and I'm bad. Verse 17, now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He recognizes the reason that he's doing the things he shouldn't do is because there's sin inside of him. Verse 18, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. 
For to will is present with me. I want to do these good things, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. I want to do what's right, but I just I can't put the want into action. Verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law. He said, so through all of this, through the, through the not wanting to do it, but I do it, the things that I should do that I don't do, I'm, I'm finding a law. It just, it's, it's, it's becoming evident to me. And what is that law? That when I would do good, when I set out to do what's right, evil is present with me. And we all can say amen to that. When I set my heart, I'm going to do what's right. I'm determined. I'm going to live right this week. I'm going I'm to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to witness. We find that, man, evil is present with me. It becomes more difficult. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man. There's a part of me that likes the law, that wants to do what's right. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. I, I know what's right. I love God. I want to do what's right in my heart. But there's a battle going on inside me. And as a result, verse 24, O wretched man that I am. That's the apostle Paul talking. He's saying, man, I am wretched. Why? Because he recognizes he loses this battle more than he wins this battle. And again, maybe I'm alone in here, but I can relate to Paul in that, in, in that, in that context. I, I, I can see, and Paul's going, I'm a wretched man. And then he says, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Recognizing he can't win the battle. Verse 25, I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the, with the flesh, uh, the law of sin. So we see this battle going on, and we see it's happening internally in the life of Paul. And this is important to, to build from, because we're going to see how Paul is going to approach this idea of living the Christian life. That we all have a desire to do what's right, but man, we fight this battle of not doing it, and we fall short. And at the end of the day, we come to the conclusion, I am wretched, I can't save myself, I can't do anything Thank God I have Jesus, though, because he, through me, can help me do that which I need to do. So for when it comes to this idea, our, our, our lesson this morning, our title, is relationship, not religion. And we, we've talked about this with Jesus, and we've talked about this with the disciples, but now we're going to look at it a lot more in an applicable way. Because many Christians, the Christian life itself, living the Christian life, it falls apart because they view the Christian life as a religion and not as a relationship. Many people believe the Christian life to be some sort of moral code, one of many today, a system of religion that it wants me to conform to some sort of high standard of behavior, uh, an ethical way of living. But the fact is, no matter how disciplined we are, no matter how good we are, no matter how much we read our Bible, no matter how much we pray, no matter how much we witness and tell other people, all of our, our, our deeds in this body are never good enough for an eternal and perfect God. doesn't matter how hard we try, we'll never measure up. In fact, if you started with this Bible this morning, you started in Genesis, you went all the way to Revelation, and you counted every one of the expectations that God has for his followers, every do and every don't, and you made an exhaustive list of all of those, what you're going to find is the majority of the Bible is do's and don'ts. 
And if you take that list and you say, okay, I'm going to live this list to the best of my ability. I'm going to try to follow it perfectly with 100% effort for the rest of my life. You can set out to do that, but I'm going to go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. You're going to get to the end of your life and you're going to realize you were a failure in fulfilling that. And on top of that, you're going to feel absolutely exhausted and disillusioned from trying to keep all those because you know that you can't. Now, in the end, when you get to that end of life and you've tried to keep all those, you might be better than me and you might be better than the guy next door to you. But at the end, you're still going to struggle with pride. You're still going to struggle with self. You're still going to have bouts with sin and temptation. And you're still going to struggle with being faithful in every aspect of your life. You're still going to have moments of idolatry where other things get between you and the Lord. The bottom line is when you compare yourself and your good works to God and his perfection, every single time is going to drive us to our knees in failure. That's why the Bible says in Isaiah 64 verse 6, but we are all as unclean thing and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. The Christian life is not a set of moral codes. It's not, a, it's, not, it's not rules because if that's what it is, we can't do it. We might as well give up now. It's impossible. So does that mean we don't do it? Does that mean we just throw up our hands and say, well, forget it. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to take this Bible. No, I'm the do's and the don'ts. I'm just going to, because uh, I'm destined to be condemned anyways. It doesn't matter. We can't do it. And so I'm just going to sit down in my failure. I'm going to wallow in my sin. No, that's not the correct answer either. So you a, you don't try to live and obey every single word in this. And at the same time, you don't just put it aside and forget it. Since I can't obey it, I'm not going to do it. I'm not even going to try. Both of those are the wrong approach. See, when we're talking about religion, what we mean by this is, is a moral system. When we use the word religion, we'll use it quite a bit throughout the, our series. Uh, it, it's a, today, it, it would be best described as some sort of process in which we try, to, we try to live a certain way to gain God's approval and acceptance. That, I, that I'm living and I'm doing this and I'm trying to, to work my way up, if you will, uh, and by, by, by how I behave and how I act and, and all in an effort to get God to smile at me, to get God to approve me, to get God to, to be fond of, of who I am and, 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 and approved and accepted by God. That's what, it's kind of like a, a, a elementary school. Like we, we, we approach the Christian life like a student who, who's really good in school and really good at class today, and as a result, he gets extra recess. But if you're bad in school today, you go to the principal's office. In some ways, we approach our Christian life that way. Like, if I'm really, really good, then God's going to bless me. I'm going to get good things. But if I'm really, really bad, well, then I'm going to go to the principal. I'm going to, man, I'm, I'm in the doghouse. I mean, God's really going to, he's going to really pour out his wrath on me. He's going he's to get my attention. He's going to do, and we, and we view the Christian life that way. And, and where sometimes religion says, well, it's, it's about uh, uh, trying to, uh, to get God's approval. Sometimes it even shifts from that. And religion becomes not even getting God's approval, but it's getting somebody else's approval. Like, I'm going to live this way because this is what the church expects of me. And I'm trying to be in good standing with the church or what my friends think or what my pastor expects. And I'm going to live this way because I'm trying to uh, get this approval from either God or from an institution or from a friend or from a pastor. All of this is called performance-based acceptance. And it works in the, in the carnal world. It works in a secular environment. You know, when you go to a, a, a job, performance-based acceptance is how you move up the chain 
You do your job, you do it right, you, 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 you get the approval of your boss, and as a result, they recognize it and they reward the behavior. Again, going back to school, school's the same way. You're a good student, you obey, you do what's right, you get promoted, you get moved up, you get more responsibilities, you get more privileges. Those work in a secular field, but when it comes to our relationship with Jesus, it falls apart because nothing in regards to our salvation has anything to do with our works. And therefore, it doesn't fit that this idea of a, a performance-based acceptance, it doesn't fit in our faith. It doesn't, even, it doesn't even remotely line up with what God teaches. But sadly, here's the problem. Many Christians, they come to God in faith. In their theology, and all of us, if we're saved this morning, have, have this profession, that we recognize at one point in our life we were sinners. And because of our sin, we could not save ourselves to get to heaven. So we turn to the only one who could, Jesus Christ, and his payment on the cross, and we accepted that. But then something happens in many Christians' life. They take that, and they go from salvation through faith and faith alone, but then somehow that morphs into a works-based salvation. What happens is, yes, I know I can't be good enough to get to heaven, and then I get saved. But then all of a sudden, for some reason, we begin to think, but now I have to be good enough to keep God's approval. Now I have to be good enough to get God to keep liking me and blessing me. But somehow I wasn't good enough to get to heaven, but now I, there is an expectation of my behavior now. That I better be good so I can stay out of trouble. That, that God doesn't look mean and God doesn't, God doesn't bring down his hammer of judgment on me. And if we live that way, what happens is the relationship that starts at salvation, it begins to fade. That the wonder and beauty of Jesus and the one who came to us when we were furthest from him, when we were still lost in our trespasses and sin, uh, now that, that beauty and wonder we had for him, now it becomes muddy with all the expectations of what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live. We now are, instead of wondering at him and his wonder and grace and love towards us, we're wondering, is he upset at me? Is God mad at me? Is God frustrated with me? Did I do something to make God angry? And so what happens is at some point for Christians, Jesus goes from being our savior to our sheriff. We no longer look at him as our savior who died and loved me when I was at my worst. Now we look at him like he's my sheriff. Like he's watching me for everything I do wrong. And he is gonna, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna bring down discipline if I mess up. For many of us, if we're not careful, we go from feeling accepted to feeling accused. It goes from relationship to religion. Security gives way to sweat. And eventually we spiral down to a place of discouragement. We say, you know what? I can't do this. I can't measure up. And here's the truth. You can't. But even greater truth is you were never supposed to. We were never meant to measure up. We were never meant to reach this level of, of behavior and, 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 and right. That's not what we were meant to do. That's not what Jesus intended when he saved us. And so we have to understand what is the Christian life? Is it a relationship or is it rules? 2 Timothy 1, verse number 7, we know this verse, Paul says to, to, to Timothy, for God had not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Is your Christian life described as a life of power and love and of a sound mind? Many Christians today, especially when they're living, trying to uh, performance-based, they live in the spirit of fear, constantly afraid of stepping out of line constantly afraid of doing something that's going to bring down the judgment of God on them. But God says, that's, that's not at all how I intend to. I, I want you to live with power, with love and, and sound mind, that you're confident in every step that you take, that God loves you and God accepts you. I think of uh, the Apostle Paul when he was writing to the church at Thessalonica. Uh, he told them why he sent Timothy to them. 
First Timothy, First Thessalonians, chapter three, verse number two. I sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. Paul says, "Look, I'm sending Timothy not to rip your face off, not to get up there and rip and snort and spew and and spit everywhere and bring you under conviction. No, I'm bringing Timothy to you. I want him to use your faith, and I want I want you to be comforted in your faith." I want your faith and your belief and, 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 and your, the Christian life to be a place of comfort for you. Not a thing to fear, not, not a burden, uh, not, not, a, not a weight that you carry. And so we understand uh, from the get-go as we move into this study this morning, we're going to look at our notes here in a second, that what we're talking about is the Christian life, it's not meant to be a religion. It's not meant to be moral codes and standards and all those things. No, it's meant to be excuse me, a relationship. So let's look at number one, the number one this morning, establishing a biblical framework. Many times, uh, different devices, technology and equipment, they need to be calibrated. What I mean by calibrated is they, they, they get off of what they're supposed to be on. And so you'll have to take time to calibrate that. What we're going to try to do in this lesson this morning is we're going to calibrate this idea of our, relig- of our faith and, and make sure that we're, we're more focused on the relationship than we are the religion. To understand that this morning we were not saved into a system. We were not saved by a structure. That Christianity is not some sort of self-help program. But we, instead we were saved by a person. We were introduced to a person, Jesus Christ. Why? Because we couldn't save ourselves. And so the Christian life, it's about knowing him and walking closely with him and, and being loved by him. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10, the Apostle Paul said, that I may know him. That was, that was Paul's goal. In all of life, he says, I just want to know him. That points to a relationship. It doesn't say that I may attain this level. That I may accomplish this. No, he said, the Christian life, my whole heart's beat is that I know him, which tells us there's a relationship to be had. The Apostle Paul recognized it, and that was his heartbeat. Understand this morning that when we see Scripture, and we see uh, when we get saved, how we're, how we're described, it's always in a relationship sense. That we were born into a family, we're called a child, we're called a son. The Bible tells us in 1 John 3 and verse number 1 that the references are there for you. Uh, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Galatians chapter 4 and verse number 6. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. In whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. We see in those descriptions that God, when he's writing to us, when he's describing us and our relationship with him, it's always done with relational terms. Son, child, father. Those, that's the terminology he uses when he relates to us because he wants us to understand this is a relationship that we've entered in with him. This perspective is critical because it's going to shape everything we know and believe about our Christian experience. We need to understand this morning that our faith and how we, how we view God and our relationship with him, it's going to frame our expectations, what we believe and what we expect from the Christian life. 
And so what this is called, we, you saw point number one, establishing a biblical framework in a, in, in a theological sense. This is called a theological framework. It's the structure in which you believe in your belief system. Think of it like this. Think of your, your, your theological framework as, the, as a steel structure of a building. When, when a building is being constructed, and in the early stages, they're putting that steel up, and, and the, the steel structure, it, it's imperative. It's paramount to the, to, the, to, the, to the stability of that building moving forward. Because once these steel studs are hung, once these things are put in place, everything else is going to be added to it. The walls, the cement, everything that's going to make up that building, the glass, the door, all of it is going to add, and it's all going to be held up by this metal framework. And so if the framework in this building is faulty, if it's not welded together properly, if the material is not, if it's not lined up where it should be, then it jeopardizes the entire structure of the building, the, the, the stability of the structure. And if it's not put together right, if it's not put together in the right places with the right material, then uh, eventually it's going to cause problems and eventually the whole building is going to collapse. And our Christian faith is the same way. That if our foundation, if our framework for, for theology and our relationship, if we, don't, if we don't approach the very basic idea of our faith with the right understanding of the structure, then we're setting ourselves up for a, for, for a Christian life that's going to fall apart under pressure. It's going to fall apart under the stress and the difficulties of life. It's unfortunate, but many Christians have built this kind of framework with a faulty assumption and expectations. They've lived this performance-based life rather than grace-based truth. They, 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 in their life, they try harder and harder and harder to, to be better and to, and to be more disciplined and, and all so they can try to uh, gain the approval of a perfect God. Now listen, I do want to say that as we look through the God's Word, just if you just browse the Bible, you're going to find that God does give commands concerning our behavior. We're not negating that fact this morning. That God calls us to live a holy life. He calls us to reflect the work that he's done in our lives. God calls us to be a light. He calls us to be a representative of Jesus Christ. Yes, uh, as we go through these lessons, understand we are not saying that there's not a system of rules that we ought to obey. But the question is, what we're focusing on is why we obey the rules that are in God's word. Why are we, if we're doing it to gain God's acceptance or approval, that's where we're flawed. But instead, if we're doing it from a position of grace and understanding, man, this is my reasonable service. This is the least I can do for him. I do these things not because if I don't, God's gonna, no, I do it because I get to, I love him. I've used the example before, I love my wife. And I found as we got married, there were certain things that she likes and doesn't like. And I do those things, like, I, for instance, I rinse off my dish when I put it in the sink. Not because I don't want to hear her gripe about it, but because I recognize that's something that she, you know, when it makes her job a little bit easier, and it's a simple thing for me to do, I could begrudgingly go to the, go to the sink and be like, I can't believe she's going to make me do this. I can't believe i got to put the toilet seat down every time I get done. Yeah, I, I could gripe about everything that she has mentioned to me. Or I can say, you know what, I love her and I want to make her job easier. So I'm going to go ahead and just do this for her. I'm going to find ways to make her happy. And when we approach our Christian life that way, we don't look at the word, the word about like, oh, well, i got to do this because God said this. Or he's going to be unhappy. But no, I, man, God gave me him. He died for me. I can do that. I can do that. I can do, you, it's, it takes on a whole different perspective. And so we're going to look at two different lenses 
to get our framework, to see it. Brother Stephen can speak way more to this than I can, but different lenses will give you a different perspective. I've, I meant to bring in, Brother, Brother, Brother uh, Trey's got someone right now, some sunglasses. I could put some sunglasses on this morning right here and look in front of you, and it's going to change how I view you. You are going to be darker. The light, it's going to be a little more difficult to see. Or I can put the lenses that I'm supposed to, or I can go grab my wife. My wife has some glasses at home that she wears. If I accidentally put on her glasses in the morning, I'm going to see things a lot differently than when I put my glasses on. So how we view through the, what we, how we view the Christian life through the lenses is going to determine our understanding of our Christian life. And so the first lens that we're going to see this morning is the lens of religion. If we view the Christian life as a, through the lens of religion, it's going to distort what God meant for us to see. You see, if that's the way you live, if we frame it through the lens of religion, we're going to see that God's going to feel like he's distant, that God is impersonal, that God is disconnected from my pain. Uh, put it this way, uh, to, uh, if I view it through the lens of religion, then my Christian life becomes a spiritual ladder. And that each rung is me getting better. Me trying to do more and to be more. And as I go up this ladder, the, the further I go up, the more that I do, the closer I feel to God. That I, I, every step that I take, uh, you know, I used to do this and I don't do that anymore, so now I'm closer to God. And now I've done this, now I'm closer to God now. And everything that we do in our Christian life, it's like a ladder. And we feel like, man, I'm getting closer to God because of these actions and how I live. But then the opposite is true. When I mess up, when I don't do that which I should do, and I slip, I feel like I'm falling down the ladder some rungs. And eventually, if I continue to fall, the day will come that I'll reach the bottom, and I'm just, I, it's too far to climb back up, and I'm just done. There's no way I'll ever get back to where I used to be. I've, I've backslidden too far. I might as well not put any effort into it anymore. And some Christians, again, they even view salvation this way, that salvation, that they, there's no way they could get to God, so they, get, they, they, they accept Christ as their Savior. But then they view, like, once I get saved, now I have access to a ladder that wasn't available to me before I got saved. Now I'm saved, I have a way that I can get even closer to God. And I'm going to climb that ladder. But again, if that's the mentality, if I fall from that ladder, then the idea could even lead to me, well, if I fall far enough, I may lose access to the ladder. That I may not even be able to have access, and therefore I may, I may even lose the salvation that I once, once was given to me because my actions don't meet up. And it's all based on this idea of i got to do, 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 work, 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 so I can get closer to God, so I can be better, and I can be more than anybody else. But here's the problem. The ladder concept is not found anywhere in the Bible. It's a man-made theology. In the latter, yes, it makes us feel good about ourselves. Because we can look and we can see growth. We can, we can, we can gauge our, our spirituality based on where we're at in the latter. And so that makes us feel good. But it's deceptive in making us think that somehow we've earned God's acceptance because of where we're at on the latter. But the problem is, again, the latter, sometimes it helps our conscience. But the other times it makes us full of guilt because we're not as high as we could be. Another problem with this theology is that when we use the ladder, the ladder itself becomes a measuring stick. We look at where we're at on the ladder and then we judge those who are on different spots in our, our man-made ladder. That I'm here and look at that person. They haven't got to this point yet, so I'm better than they are. Or I look at somebody else, man, they're a better Christian than me because look at how high they are and how low I am. And it becomes this measuring stick. Again, 
that's not described, that's not taught in Scripture. This is all a man-made thought. It's kind of like a child who proudly pronounces, I'm going to build a ladder to the moon. And he might build a pretty tall ladder. It might be taller than the kid next to him in his ladder. But we all know he's never going to make it to the moon. In many ways, our Christian life, when we live with this latter idea, the lens of religion, yeah, we may think we look good, and we may be better than the other person, but we're never going to reach perfection. We're never going to reach what God's, uh, his level of what his righteousness is concerned. And as a result, we beat ourselves up because we never attain. So there's a lens of, rela- there's a lens of religion, and there's the lens of relationship. This is the biblical view. This is the truth that we're going to see in a moment that makes you free. It's a, it's a, it's a freeing understanding of what the faith of, of Jesus Christ is. That, that now it's instead of a, a set of rules and it's a relationship that God comes near to you and invites you into relationship with him and, and Jesus becomes your friend and Jesus offers you new life and joy. When we, when we change our lens from, from, from a religion to relationship, the, the climbing this ladder gives way. Instead of climbing, now you're resting. Instead of frustration, now you're experiencing forgiveness. Instead of exhaustion, now you're feeling renewed. Instead of trying, now you just give way to yielding. I'm just going to let God do what only he can do. What we find is God's grace and his goodness in our life, it, it crushes the ladder idea. That grace will bring God close with open arms. That the cross of Jesus, it it bridges the distance between sinful man and a holy God. And as a result, now God invites us to boldly approach him, to be adopted by him, to be lavished by his unconditional love, and to be accepted by all those who believe in Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 1 and verse number 6. I think I uh, may have got this uh, reference wrong maybe. Yeah, uh, let's see. Where am I at here? On my notes, I think I messed this up. I did a little bit. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Think about the words that God used to characterize what it means to become a Christian. He, words, he used words like born again, new creature, regeneration, justification, reconciliation, remission, propitiation, ransom, salvation, redemption, forgiveness. You have a bunch of verses there. Listen, I'm going to read some for you. John chapter 3 and verse number 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Uh, verse Titus, uh, Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Romans 4.25, who was delivered for our, for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Romans 3 verse 25, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sin. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Mark, 4, Mark 10 verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse number 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace. See, why did you say all those verses? What do all those verses have in common? The Bible, all those verses, you can go back and read them in your own time, what you're going to find is not one of those verses implies self-effort. Not one of those verses point to you doing anything. 
In fact, when you see salvation in the Bible, we see over and over again, it's nothing about you, but it's instead, it's God rescuing you. God seeing you can't do it, so he comes to you and he does it for you. That's the wonderful idea. That's, the, that's, the, that's what, when you see the biblical definition of, of Christianity, when you see what, what it really means to be a Christian, you realize it's not about anything you do, it's about the relationship that you have with God. That God is in rescue mode. Philippians 1.6, I have it on the screen, being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's not on you to do the work. It's on him. He began the work. He will perform it. Our job is to have a relationship and fall in love with Jesus Christ and stay close to him as we possibly can. And in doing so, God says, I'll do the work in you. Instead of trying to keep up with all these do's and don'ts, you just love me, have a relationship with me. And in doing so, I'll, the work that I began when I saved you, I'll continue to do it. You just get lost in the relationship with me. You get lost in me and I will do the work. This is the relationship of unconditional acceptance and absolute dependence. It's unconditional acceptance that God accepts me because it's not based on who I am, it's based on what Jesus did, but it's also absolute dependence, understanding that I can't do anything to please God, only what Jesus did, so I depend upon him in my relationship. So, number two this morning, clarifying expectations. Clarifying expectations. We'll get through the rest of these pretty quick. I've got time. I don't want to make part two. All right, clarifying expectations. Uh, look at this verse. We all know this verse, John 10, 10. The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come they might have life, they might have it more abundantly. Man, we love the idea of abundant life. Man, I love to have an abundant life. It sounds pretty good, but many of us, we don't understand what an abundant life is or how it works. And therefore, our expectations are flawed. We have a wrong expectation. Okay, I'm a Christian. What should I expect now? Well, the first point we see, what do we expect from Jesus? What do we expect from Jesus? Many people, when they enter the Christian life, they have an expectation of what's going to happen now. And I'll go through these fairly quickly. You don't have to write these down. Uh, many people accept, ex expect happiness. That their life is just going to be full of sunshine and roses. Well, Psalm 1611 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. I'm going to go through life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. Meaning, I'm going to go through difficult times, but I'll still have joy. But happiness is not guaranteed when I enter the Christian life. If your, if your expectation for the Christian life is just pure happiness all the time, you're going to be let down. For others, it's peace. That there's just internal peace that you're always going to have and you're never going to be troubled. There's never going to be conflict. There's never going to be any struggle. But the Bible says in Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God which passeth all understanding. Why does it pass understanding? Because the moment and the situation that you're living in, it's, it's a bad situation. You're in the midst of conflict. You're in the midst of a struggle. But in that, somehow you find peace. But if your expectation is, when I get saved, in my Christian life, I'm just going to have peace constantly in my life. That's a flawed belief. That's the wrong expectation. Uh, another one is forgiveness, that our sin is forgiven, but all of a sudden we presume that forgiveness is going to lead to immediate victory over sin. That's not the case. Uh, that uh, this new life is some sort of magic fix, that well, this new life is going to be much easier than our old life. In fact, the opposite is true. Philippians 4 and 7, the peace of God, sorry, that's not the one, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He giveth us, it's a continual thing, which means there's an ongoing battle in our life. 
And that God gives us the victory in that ongoing battle. But if you're expecting a Christian life to be free from battle, you're wrong. And so it's not what we expect from Jesus, but rather, next point, what we experience in Jesus. Because it's not what we're going to get from Jesus, but rather, what do we get with Jesus? We won't take time to look at it, but back in Romans chapter 7, where we started this morning, we saw that the Apostle Paul said, man, oh, wretched man that I am, I can't do this, who's going to save me? And that's when he goes, thank God, Jesus. He's the one who's going to save thee. So what we find from this is, uh, yes, in the Christian life, there's going to be joy, but there's also going to be hardness. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, but call to remembrance the former days in which after ye were illuminated or after ye were saved, ye endured a great fight of afflictions. That yes, you're going to have joy, but you're also going to have difficult times. But in those difficult times, to know that God is going to help you. Uh, peace and conflict. That when we follow Jesus, you're going to realize that yes, there's going to be peace, but there's going to be a lot of conflict that follows. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17. For the flesh, lusted against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. These things are contrary. We're going to find there's a battle that's beginning. Uh, we won't take time to go through all of these uh, answers and questions. When you get saved, your, your biggest question is answered. Why am I here? Where am I going? But then more questions come. Well, for now we see through a glass darkly. That there's certain things we still don't understand. Yes, we have some questions of life answered, but there are other questions we're still going, God, why did you do that? And God's going to say, I'm not going to answer you right now. And we don't get those answers all the time. Uh, uh, for time's sake, I won't go through uh, a couple of the illustrations that I had. Let's jump to the last point, finding freedom in biblical realities. So we understand our biblical framework, that it's not about, uh, it's not a, re- a rules and, a re- and religion, it's a relationship. There's nothing I can do. We also understand the expectations here. I'm not, if I have expectations that my life is just going to be free of all problems, no, no, no. But instead, I'm going to go through difficulties and trials and hardships, but I'm going to have Jesus with me. That's what I get through Jesus, with Jesus. But now, let's look at some biblical realities. These are some things that are, are legitimate things that we know as a, as a Christian we should expect. Number one, we are saved, but we will still struggle. That even though you're saved, you're still going to have a struggle with sin. I love how it's put that we are all in the same boat as the Apostle Paul. It's a lifeboat. We are broken beings, ravaged by a fallen world. We've been pulled from the raging waters, unable to save ourselves, unable to sustain ourselves. And we've been saved from the spiritual wreckage of this world. And that we're journeying in safety to safety. We're in the safety of Jesus Christ, but we haven't arrived at the seashore yet. And so until then, we're still rocked back and forth by the waves of life. We still feel the winds of sin and all the things in the world. Yes, we are in Jesus, so we're safe. We're guaranteed to get to the other side, but we still have to have some difficult days ahead. We're still going to have to struggle. So we're saved, but we're still going to struggle. That's part of the Christian life. That's a biblical reality. A second one is we are dependent in every way. Again, many Christians, they, they see salvation as a faith decision, But sanctification or being a a spiritual growing is a do-it-yourself project. They they look at it as if God in his grace was a delivery truck and he dropped off all the supplies you need to be a good Christian and you just got to put it together. That being a good Christian is a do-it-yourself project. That God says, look, here's all the supplies, here's all the do's, you better do it. That's not at all how it works. We are completely 100% dependent upon Jesus. That only he and through his ability are we ever going to be what God would have us to be. The Bible tells in Ephesians 2.20, For we are his workmanship. We are his project. We're trying to do something that God never called us to do. 
God didn't call you to build yourself up and to make your own workmanship. No, you are his work. He's doing the work in you. Philippians 2.13, for it is God which worketh in you, both to, do, uh, to will and to do of his good pleasure. Again, the emphasis is I'm completely dependent upon him. I can't do it. He has to do it in me and through me, and that happens through my relationship with him. Next, the Christian life is not, as, uh, is not hard. It's impossible. Again, if the Christian life is about doing, 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 just go ahead and mark it down. It's impossible. To live the Christian life as it's meant to be lived in and of your own ability, it is impossible. We have to have Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit of God is the only way by which we're going to be able to do what God has called us to do and live how God has called us to live. And lastly this morning, we are unconditionally accepted by Jesus Christ. The truth about the Christian life is you, ha- you can do nothing to lose any acceptance you have of God. You, can lo- you cannot lose any favor of God. You cannot lose anything. John 8, 32, And ye shall know the truth, that's Jesus, and the truth shall make you free. What's the truth? The truth is that you are, un- you are, you are completely accepted by Jesus Christ. You're unconditionally accepted. And that truth is a freeing truth. To know I don't have to do it. God's going to do it through me. And that I am unconditionally accepted. I'm never in the doghouse. I'm never ostracized. I'm never put in time out. God unconditionally accepts me for who I am. And man, that is a freeing thought. To know that I'm not trying to earn behavior. I'm not trying to earn. Oh, I just rest in Jesus, my relationship with him. And he does the work in and through me. I'm, I'm done. But I was going to give you one kind of just a visual illustration. Uh, I, we've all played or you've at least messed with a bottle rocket before. You, know, you light the little bottle rocket. It shoots up and it sparks. And then once it reaches, its, it burns out and it, goes, and it goes black and it just falls to the ground. Never to be found. It's just gone. Many Christians, when they start off in their Christian life, they start off like, like bottle rockets. They feel this excitement of being a Christian and I'm saved. But they have the wrong framework. They think it's all about doing and doing and being and getting God's acceptance. And at the beginning, man, they're on fire for God. But eventually they burn out. Eventually they can't do all that needs to be done. Eventually they mess up and when they do, they come crashing down and they burn out as a Christian. That's not what we want to be. So how do we prevent from that? We understand from the very beginning, from the basic concept, that when authentic Christianity, it's about a relationship. It's not about a religion. And that the Christian life, it's impossible. So stop trying and just join into a relationship with Jesus. Get lost in that relationship. Read your Bible. Pray. Get close as you possibly can. And let him do the work that only he can do in and through us. Father in heaven, thank you for this wonderful truth that we have this morning. What a wonderful freeing thought to recognize and understand that that there's nothing for us to do to earn your acceptance, that we are fully, uh, unconditionally accepted by you. God, thank you for your love for us and your faithfulness to us. Lord, may we just get lost in our relationship with you. May our relationship with you this week get strengthened. As a result, you can do a work in us that only you can do. Thank you for this truth. Bless us in the service to follow. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.